Do you guys find it easier to have stronger connections and connections and like relationship development between PCs and NPCs with people that you know at your table or with people that you don't know? Which one do you find is a little bit easier? Uh, I always look, it's about connection with people. And so with people that I know, it's a lot easier. Um, the more that I know a character, mm-hmm. the more that I know the play style of a player, the more I can get into whatever the relationship is, good or bad. Right. If I want to be threatening or menacing or whatnot as well, it's not just about like love and happiness and friendship. The more I know someone, the more I can cater the experience directly for them uh, and let them stand up and be like the main character uh, and and react instead of just being generic. Mm -hmm. I would have to agree in the sense that if I know who I'm playing with, I I can gauge an idea of how their character is going to react because I already know the player themselves was, if I don't know them, I don't want to do anything that might offend them because I said relationships aren't just about romance. It's about getting to, it's, it's about developing relationships between people, friendships and all that. And I don't want to do something that might push a player character, a player away. Yeah. No, it's, it's like, I feel like it's definitely one of those things that you discuss in game zero, like, of- Oh yeah things people are comfortable with not comfortable with um it might be a strategy to have to be like what kind of relationships are you looking for right because some people come into D or role-playing games looking for like romances and or like really strong friendships with P- like npcs or pcs and i've sometimes been trying that to seduce be dan for like four years now and it's just not fucking taking i think i think you're gonna get there at some point you know just keep trying yeah i've been trying to play the uh the enemies game with him for so long to push him in your direction. And that's also not working. So <laughs> maybe I should have started with enemies and then gone to lovers by the end. Right. That, that is that the favorite story? We love an enemies to lovers. So <laughs> even better lovers to enemies. <laughs> and then back to lovers. <laughs> that's, just a, that's just a story of my life, Megan. <laughs> love that for you. <laughs> Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome back to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. Today, we're continuing our discussion on player options in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition. I'm Adam, and with me today are Megan and Tyler. And this episode is called In-Game Relationships, Directions for Your Connections, Affections, and Rejections. In this episode <laughs> of the It's a Mick podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters will be discussing relationships between playable characters and playable characters, playable characters and NPCs, and NPCs and NPCs. Now, I know that we're going to be talking about relationships in general, and not necessarily romantic relationships, but what's your policy on romance in-game? Like, How do you handle it? Let's grab dice. Sure. I got a 16. Eight. 13. All right. Uh, me first and Megan last. Yeah, I think most people are going to click on this episode and be like, oh, we're talking about, about romance. And that's really only one very small aspect of, of relationships. Um, but it's probably the thing we should get out of the way early, I guess. So I have no problem with romantic relationships. Uh, my only question is at what point does the player want to fade to black, right? How in-depth do they want to get? I have 
manifested and and I I spent an entire campaign flirting my ass off with Jamie and he and I thought it was hilarious and fun and everyone else it, in, enjoyed the ridiculousness of it in the moment but in current campaigns there are some players at the table where we just very quickly yeah you walk up to to him at the bar and he's standing there looking at you he raises an eyebrow and says shall we and then that's it that player exits stage left <laughs> and we catch up with them in the morning right and that's as far as it ever gets or as what megan likes to do she just has a very quiet uh and very personal opinion that she doesn't share with anybody and then i have to fucking guess and then she mentions it briefly in a message to me midweek that yes because i really like this person I'm like okay good he is my love interest all right i understand and then we never acknowledge it in game and then he kills them <laughs> every kill time yeah. <laughs> that, that's player development <laughs> I have many, many fridge characters for my characters. <laughs> oh Look, my. I, I, yeah, I'm all for it. I, I think that it adds a different dynamic to a D&D campaign where otherwise it, we could very easily just fall into slashing and fireballs, right? So That's true. And that's why with me when it comes to romance is I have absolutely no problem with it. And even to a point, uh, sometimes would even encourage it if I can see something happening there. But I want it to build story. I want to use it in game. Like I want to them to develop the relationship to further advance what their story is. If it is if it is just a, oh, hey, yeah, we're at a pub. I'm going to shack up with somebody. I'm like, oh, fine, you, you go. What is everyone else doing? But if it's something that I really like this person and they wanted to develop it even further, okay, let's, then it's going to be, okay, let's sit down and chat as an NPC uh, or, and to, and kind of go from there. Again, nothing ever really is going to get sexual in my games because that's just not the kind of games I like to play. It is going to be, if anything goes that direction, yeah, fade to black. But when it comes to romance, romance isn't all just about sex. It's a, it's, it's a lot of, I want that, uh, that dynamic, those dynamic encounters to be in there where they have fun and build the story. And then how do I tie it into the main story? That is, that is what I did with Jamie. Cause Jamie was banging the bartender. He came from that level of, of D and D, right? Like it was save the damsel. And then we're going to go to the back room of the dungeon and bang before I take her home. Like it was very much that kind of shit. And it took me months of getting in the way of that and making him earn a relationship for him to realize that, oh, there's, there's more to this than just like fictional bump and uglies, right? Like that's, that wasn't enough. It's not engaging. However, at the same time, at this point, I think half of the players at my table have just very happily, Megan, I'm so glad that this is the first campaign we've had where that hasn't included nudity. There has been so much nudity <laughs> in, our, in our campaigns. It's it's become it's pretty close. I think. I think the closest we got was uh, Dan's character wearing a piece of armor that was a little bit too small. Like I think Whoa. that's the closest we've gotten. So well, far. I'm down there. Well, yeah. we also had we also had Charlie's character end up at a spa full of hot tritons. Yeah, I remember that. And I'm... then he just <laughs> spent a few days there, and, but like. We never really got into the sex side of it. It was always just us laughing, good for you, <laughs> and then moving on, right? Yeah. We definitely we moved past the dick jokes and dick measuring jokes after the first couple of campaigns that we played together as a group. Yeah. Um, get, get it out early. 
Yeah. <laughs> Whip it out early, is the Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, for me, my policy romance in games always comes back to just like consent of players and what they're comfortable doing and what they're not comfortable doing. And I actually learned this from another player because I've done a lot of romances in games and I've played them very similarly to how I play them in your game, Adam. They're usually behind the scenes and they're like small scenes I'll play between me and that character and usually with the DM just to like like instill that my character has a connection to this person so that they can use utilize it later on to give my character a challenge or have to make them make a choice like i like adding that level of complexity to my character but i don't like rubbing in people's faces that's just how i don't how i do it but there was another player that for the first time i was gonna do a pc pc romance um with one of my friends and it was gonna be the first campaign him and i were playing in together And we built our characters and we played in a campaign and then we were playing season two of that campaign and we decided in the three year gap that we ended up together. So we're going to be starting the new campaign as like a couple, like a secretive couple almost. And uh, we had a conversation to be like, what are you comfortable with? What are you not comfortable with? Like, so him and I sat down and had that conversation player to player. And then, of course, mentioned it to our DM that, yes, this is the, the, the direction our characters are going. And this is how, how we are comfortable playing that out at the table. Because both of us had partners at that time, neither of them which were at the table. So we kind of had to have that conversation, right? Yeah. So, and I think that's just about respecting people at your table. Because there's nothing worse than having an awkward situation that you then have to talk to your DM later and be like, that made me uncomfortable, right? So it's getting ahead of it before anything terrible can happen to somebody. And mm-hmm. like... Now yeah. you, then you can get weird with it after that once people are used to it. <laughs> yeah, and that's true. I, yeah. I never want to know what get weird with it means, but we're gonna move right past. Um <laughs> but I I do want to say your point is a good one. It is so damned important to think about not just the two people and whatever their relationship is, and it doesn't have to be romance. If you have two players that have decided that they want to have a fun rivalry, right? Or we're gonna be brother and sister or father and son, or whatever it is. You've got to make sure that everyone else around the table is comfortable with that as well, because you're bringing in a pre-established dynamic that you are going to play in, and it becomes more than just the two of you. This relationship becomes an entity unto itself, and Mm -hmm. other people are going to have to react to it, and maybe they don't want to. You don't know what people have in mind for their characters, what shit they don't want to deal with in their downtime fantasy bullshit with their friends right they they may not want to get into complex familial um relationships so talk it over session zero is a is a great opportunity um it's why i like playing with people that i know very very well i sprung the fact on both mieka and casey that their characters were sisters long lost sisters they each had a long lost sister in their backstory and now they've met and they found out that they were related. Neither of them had any idea this was coming, but I knew them both well enough. I've been playing with both of them for years that I could do that without clearing it with them first. If this was with a bunch of online um, strangers that I was running with, that would have been a conversation. That would have definitely been a sidebar before it ever happened. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, before this conversation sets its relationship status to it's complicated, let's cut to an info break. We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on player options in 5th edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. If you would like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you would like to pay for some ad space on It's a Mimic, 
or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below. This week on the It's a Mimic Campaign Builder, Tyler and I sit down and discuss what to do when you hit the halfway point of a campaign. We check in with each other as Dungeon Masters, and we talk about checking in with the players and ourselves as kind of a follow-up to a mid-campaign version of, like, a Session Zero. But for now, let's get back to the episode. So before we get into the three basic dynamics that we're going to talk about today, I want to talk really quickly about what a relationship is. Thank you both for joining me for this uh, <laughs> therapy that we're going to be going to. No. This is um, Dr. Phil moment. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> no, it's Dr. Adam. Um, I can get used to that, actually. <laughs> oh. Oh, do you, don't get I don't? used to it, please. <laughs> <laughs> so in fifth edition, the regular text suggests that there are really three basic states for NPC attitudes when it comes to player characters. Hostile, neutral, and friendly. But that is so simplistic, and that is really the majority of the information that they give us when they're trying to coach you as a DM on how to handle NPCs, um, or how to handle relationships or attitudes at all. So I sat down, and I kind of went through all of my favorite characters from pop culture and tried to put them into different different statuses for different real-life attitudes that might exist there. I tried to, to dumb it down as much as I could to find out uh, as many archetypes as I could. And I came up with 12 basic relationship archetypes. There's romantic, clearly. There's best friend. And then there's other friends and other friendships. There are people that are allies. There's acquaintances. And then there are known strangers. And the difference is an acquaintance to me is someone that I work with. A known stranger is a person that I see all of the time, my neighbor four houses down, that I smile and nod at when they're walking their dog, but we've only traded words like good morning and how's the weather a handful of times. They're going to be, if you're in some sort of crisis situation, they are a familiar face, but they are still an unknown quantity, right? Then there's an unknown stranger, which is someone you've never met, a rival, which I never think of as actually being an enemy. A rival for me is always that person that you've got not necessarily a friendly rivalry with, but that person that's just your... I, I, I don't consider the the goaltender on the opposite team to be my enemy. He's my rival, but he's not the person that I want to see blood from. Yeah, right? it's also and, the kind of person you might have like a friendly competition with if you wanted, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, it's true, yeah. And then so then there's beyond that enemy after that arch nemesis and then I wanted to point out that there's nothing worse, even arch nemesis, there's nothing worse than a betrayer. So Fair. those were the 12 basic relationships. And as we continue to talk about stuff, you guys are going to see that I've got a lot of lists in this episode to go through. Uh, feel free to jump in and, and talk about any ones that like jump out to you as being particularly potent or interesting. Um, and uh, I'm probably going to post this for the patrons to be able to go back and look at all of these because it's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of talking. Mm -hmm. So there are lots of different kinds of relationships as well, and you can include any one of these, whether it's uh, a rival or an acquaintance or a romance or a betrayer or an arch nemesis to any kind of one of the different relationships that I was able to to kind of break down as well, uh, like family or or friendship. You, if your friend betrayed you or you have a rivalry with them. I've had a couple of friends in my life where our entire friendship was based upon us trying to one-up each other and just about everything. 
It was all in good fun, but it was definitely competitive. There are things like colleagues, people you've worked with before, old army buddies. Maybe you were in a club with them and way back when. Like I I have old like old colleagues that I like I've done classes and courses and I was in scouts. I played sports, that kind yeah. of stuff. Right. They're not friends, but I know them better than I know, say for example, neighbors, which is the next one. Or it's, it also could be people you used to be friends with not as much anymore. It's now they're just colleagues, acquaintances. Yeah. It, it's drifted. There's a distance there, right? A commonality, but a distance. Mm-hmm. There's also transactional relationships as well. That's that includes, you know, do you guys have you okay? I got a question. Have you ever had or been a regular at a place? I've been a regular at two different bars, depending which city I was living in, and at three different coffee houses. I I I, I worked at a place where I had a lot of regulars, like where I worked, because I worked in tea shops and things like that. So I have mm-hmm. been the person who was someone's bartender, shall we say? Yeah. But I've never frequented a place enough where someone knew who I was. So. Really? You have a bar in your building. I know. Come on, Megan. Step up. I know. I don't go there often enough, weirdly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember being in a... Uh, there was a time where I was eating a lot of fast food on my way into work, and it came to a point where I would come to the drive through. Hey, oh, yeah, uh, we'll get this for you right now. I didn't even tell you what I want. Oh, we know, Tyler. We know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like used... speaking of the bar, though, if I go down there with um, Elwin, yeah. they will recognize her in a heartbeat, and they know her order, and they know what she drinks. And I go down there with her like once every couple of weeks. They have no idea who I am. I'm just the person that goes with her every once in a while. <laughs> my my local Tim Hortons, when I was uh, living on the other side of the city, did not have a drive through on it, so you had to walk in and talk to people. So mm-hmm. every day I would go in to the point where they had my order waiting for me um, when I walked in. And so I was always there within five minutes, right? So when I moved away, they actually, I had three different employees come around the counter to give me a hug. It was like that. So I, oh. there are definitely transactional people that you could be really good friends with, or you could absolutely hate like the soup Nazi from, from Seinfeld, right? <laughs> but there are other transactional people as well. Don't just think like service industry people, but your landlord or your employer. These are people that you have a relationship with because money trades hands, right? Mm-hmm. Then sometimes it doesn't have to be about money. It can just be community relationships. If you're a part of a club, like I mentioned before, or an organization, a committee, uh, you're, you volunteer, right? These are other people that you can be interacting with on a regular basis. Uh, keep in mind on these ones too, is these ones can be high up on the scale there or low on the scale. Like they can be best friends or have great friendships, especially if you volunteer to place often and you get to know the people there, or maybe it is there that you, there's people there that you just hate to volunteer with. And like, just, just getting that, to give an idea here that it doesn't just have to be about family and friendships, which has the top tier and the bottom tier. I volunteered with Habitat for Humanity for a couple of years there where I got to see the same couple of people over and over again. And I, it was a small enough crew that I got to know them pretty well. Uh, I also worked with the Harvest Project, which was just randos coming in and out to volunteer a couple of days here and a couple of days there as part of programs and stuff. And I had no relationship with them. And man, did I hate the woman that ran the place. Mm-hmm. She did wonderful things for a lot of people, but she just drove me nuts. So you can be involved with people in lots of different ways and apply the different attitudes to it. 
Think about the people um, that deal with the government or with the military, either from the inside of the government or military or the, the outside. Think about people dealing with churches or religious establishments as well, or school and mentors. There are lots of different kinds of relationships. And knowing that there are all these different variations on how to breathe new life into these, when you are a player, to bring it back to D&D, because as we're talking about, when you are a player, you may have a friend in one town who works with a church and a friend in another town who works with a mercenary guild and a friend in another town who's a bartender, but your relationships can be more complex than that. Yes, they're all friendships, but you would also have a relationship with that establishment and you would look upon one more favorably than the other. Mm -hmm. Maybe your best friend works for a temple that you don't really like the way they do things. It's not egregious enough that you would say anything, but... You know, the lead is just kind of skeezy. So, but he's your best friend. My right? best friend is in a cult. That's what, that's what breathes from this. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well, maybe, but then, you know, are, are you going to treat him better or worse than the bartender at your favorite bar? The bartender. I really like really my bartender. Know, right. You, you don't know his last name. The point unless is. You're, unless you're at Cheers and everyone knows your name. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, the, I've, yes. The, the, the point that I'm trying to make is that there are different kinds of relationships and we can take it a step deeper than the simple, I know a guy. This is someone that I'm friends with. This is someone that I'm... We talked um, last episode, Megan, about uh, backgrounds. Yeah. And a lot of them boil down to, I know a guy. But who is that guy, right? And how do you know them? And, and how do you feel about them? Yeah, when you're talking about like the different options of like, people that you might know and like how you would treat them differently. Like this to me in my mind was like, this breeds, I know a guy, like, yeah. but you're not just like best friends with the, the person. Like at some point it might've just been that they owed you a favor or like you did something nice for them. It's not like you're, you don't have to be buds for that in my mind. What's interesting to me is when we talk about players in D and D and they have been sitting at a table, whether they're players that know each other or not, they make a very quick snap judgment about how they interact with the other players and a lot of the time they focus on what my backstory is and my character and things that they've controlled before they ever sit at the table. What they don't do is sit down and listen to the other player characters. Why are your characters traveling together? How do they feel about each other? And when does that evolve? When does it change? Tyler, we were in a, the clear cut campaign together. There yes, no I still have memories. There, there was no relationship at all between any of the players, the player characters when we started. There were so many new players at the table that were just trying to grab the idea of the mechanics that people like you and I, who were helping Dan DM that, we were sitting there trying to help people figure it out. But there was, we had strong characters, but we were not building relationships around the table. Right? No, that's true. Although we did have funny moments. And that's the thing is you can have those fun moments, but that can help with relational development. But that doesn't mean that it's an instantaneous that's a great relationship there. No, it's you build it. But I'll, I also know that a lot of people like to have a relationship pre-existing when they show up at the table. Like in the campaign that we were playing in before, before the characters died, Dave, Charlie, and Dan all had a shared backstory. But they all came to the table with a different level of commitment to their relationships to each other. And it was very interesting to watch Charlie, who was so committed to the character... Dan, who was so committed to the story, and Dave, who just wanted to see things bleed. They all showed up <laughs> together, and they were like, oh, yeah, we all know each other. And they're like, yeah, okay, this only, 
this only ever comes up when I have only one health potion to give out, right? And it was a decision factor. It wasn't a relationship, right? It's good to think about the main motivators in relationships as well. So when we start to go through these and we start to think about the different kinds of things that drive characters, mm-hmm. I have found that people tend to stick together in a relationship to not drift apart and be strangers because they've got shit in common. Or there's something that's some amount of stakes involved. Think about all those people that you were so close with in high school and then you graduated and you never fucking talk to them again. Never, ever. They just faded off. They are NPCs. You may or may not remember their name. These are people you had tons in common with way back when. Nothing now, right? Mm -hmm. So when we look at what holds people together, what the motivating factor behind the relationship itself, not the people in it, but why we're working together, you have things that are good for me as opposed to good for you, right? So good for me is things like I'm going to gain power or I'm going to gain money or fame. Like, like I, I want to say greed, but I don't necessarily mean that in a negative um, a negative connotation. It's like ambition. Uh, we're together. I know lots of people that are together because they're in love or that they have a relationship with someone because they make money at the same place or doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, that mutual uh, being mutual benefits. Yeah. Um, no, 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 no. That, that this is the thing that I get out of it. I get okay. more power. Yeah. I get more uh, status. I get more love. I get to feel loved. I get money. But then it's good for them as well, right? Things like when I categorize it as good for them, I mean like it's good for I'm with that person because they deserve my loyalty or this is my duty to them or to this organization. Yeah, they're getting something out of you. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's a positive thing. It's good. Yeah. It's it's a sacrifice for me, but it's good. Or it's good for both of us. Uh, I look at your characters uh, that all dropped into the world together unconscious, Megan, and they mm-hmm. everybody teamed up together for safety, right? Yeah. I know a lot of people in the real world who are together, a lot of uh, relationships, they're together to keep up appearances. Yeah. It, it is, yeah. It is a, You're not wrong. It is a trope. We're together for the kids. That is a stereotype for a reason. I'm not saying it's great, but that's we're doing it because it's good for us to all do this same thing together, right? It's better than the alternative. And when we talk about better than the alternative, we look at kind of the negative stuff, the reasons that we stay with people to avoid the negatives because we can't handle loss or we don't want to deal with grief or loneliness or we just can't live with regret. So we stick with the employer, the friend we've had for 30 years who was just driving us up the wall we're with them because i don't want to be the bad guy right Mm -hmm. i don't want to go through these negative emotions or i don't want them to hate me i don't want them to resent me or i don't want them to come back at me i i I see that i've seen this in relationships too i can't be the one that breaks up with them because then they were going to do a thing the revenge response Uh, yep Yeah. And it's toxic as all hell, but there are people that are very much in those relationships Uh, or it's bad for both of us. If I go down, you're coming down with me and neither of us want to have this mutually assured destruction. We can't handle the, the mutual misery, the fall from grace that we're, that we're going to both have to suffer as a result. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, They don't want to look at the big picture. They only want to focus on the immediate. Yeah. But it's also the idea that, uh, that, how am I going to break it to how am I going to break it to my grandparents that I'm getting divorced? Right. Like that's a conversation I don't want to have. So I'm not going to go down that road. I'm not going to have that conversation. 
There are people that are going through shit like that. I can't quit my job right now, even though it's killing me, because inventory is coming up next week, right? And I owe it to my job. No, man, fuck that. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that has kept that had kept me in the job I currently have, but I'm switching jobs soon. But that had kept me in my my old job for a good long while. I can't quit because no one else can do what I do. I have thought that at three different jobs. And every single time I then walk away and they somehow manage to not go bankrupt without me. Yep. Exactly. I know. How strange that you're yeah. able to be replaceable within five days. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I am under no illusions about how absolutely expendable I am. So, and, and honestly, these are all reasons why people stay in a relationship with a business, a friend, a partner. How many people, fuck, how many people say, well, they're family, so as a justification to put up with bullshit. Yeah, like, it's, <laughs> it's your brother, it's, you it's have in to the be family. Nice. Yeah. And I don't want to just talk about this like it's all negative stuff. There's good, I just kind of skimmed over it, like romance, like, hey, uh, you and I are going to work together, we're going to get fucking rich doing this thing. I've got this idea, you got that idea, we're going to put together, it's going to be great. Right. Mm -hmm. Or or you look at um, the relationship between uh, a healthy relationship between a star and their agent. They're both getting someone out of it, but it's a symbiotic relationship. It works like they put healthy on there. Yeah. Right. Or the respect that a private has for his captain or lieutenant. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. There are the good side of these things as well. Uh, It's easy to focus on the negative. So when we look at the relationships that we have in D&D. I'm sorry, but hostile, neutral, and friendly don't fucking cover it by a damn sight. It's Mm -hmm. so much more in-depth than that. Because we can apply the good for me, good for them, good for us, bad for me, bad for them, bad for us, to the kind of relationship and the attitudes that each member uh, of that relationship has about everybody else and the relationship itself. And it can be so complex. Yeah, because you can basically take hostile, neutral, or friendly and put that word in front of any of these things on the list and it changes the dynamic of that relationship. It really does. So you can say it's a hostile romance. Uh, It's a neutral romance. It's a friendly romance. Or you can say it is a, you know, hostile rival. So it's a negative one. Or it's a neutral rival. So probably just someone who's, you know, I don't know, testing you and challenging you or a friendly rival, which is the one that's just kind of like, your friend who happens to be on the opposite soccer team. You know what I mean? Like, so you can take those three and use them as as like a solidifying stepping stone. But to your point, there's so much more in depth than just those three words. Now, I do like the idea, just thinking of it from using this hostile, neutral, friendly, you use these attitudes with everyone that the, or the party as a player, you can use this uh, with everyone you come against. For example, the kobold over there who is uh, yelling at me with a spear in his hand ready to throw it at me because I tried to talk to him. Well, he's a hostile. And now I can put this into one of these others, but I know for for, for sure he's hostile. Now, now I can put them into those. But But the point is that it doesn't necessarily have to be. Even with those actions there, that could be a neutral rival. Mm-hmm. It could be, right? yes. Or that could be... Uh, someone who is dealing with loss and grief, uh, but they are just an unknown stranger. They're trying to warn you off of passing by them and going to that dangerous thing behind them, right? Like we automatically assume that we can murder hobo our way or fuck our way through most most simplistic D&D campaigns, 
right? And unfortunately, that's not true in D&D or life. I, I do wish that that was true for life sometimes. But, <laughs> but, I mean, it can be. It depends on how hard you try. <laughs> if we believe in ourselves. <laughs> so um, when we when we sit down to look at the actual relationships moving forward, I just want everyone to think about the idea that these are your basic building blocks for how to build complex and dynamic relationships beyond just friendly, neutral, hostile. Mm -hmm. When I'm coming up with an NPC on the spot, I'm not going to get into necessarily, well, are they trying to save face in the uh, in the eyes of their organization? And that might be motivating, more bit of more of a complex plot. And so they're going to lie to the characters. No, if I'm doing it on the on the fly, his name is Bobbert. He is an elf, and he wants you to kill a goblin. And that's about <laughs> it. I'm not getting too much deeper than that because they've just blindsided me. But you give me three minutes, you give me the opportunity to sit down and plan a uh, session as a DM. I can come up with more complicated uh, relationships. At the same time, when I am a player, Megan, we played L5R. You did a phenomenal job being the uh, game master for L5R. And I got to come to the table with a character who was married and absolutely fucking hated his wife. Yeah, And it was so much fun for <laughs> me to do that. And it created a lot of comedy at the table. And also I got a couple of like, Eyebrow raises from the Aka about it. <laughs> and and rightly so, I think. But hundred uh, <laughs> percent. It, it was I was very toxic. However, it was a lot of fun to play. If I had just thought, oh, I am married, therefore I love my wife, that would have been the end of that conversation. We wouldn't have had that fun. So as a player, dig deeper. And here's the thing too, is these these things can develop as well over time. Yes. The idea is this is something that should be consistently evolving as you go, and it can be very subtle as you go as well. Like Megan and her in-game romances, which all happen behind the scenes, and you know, I'm sure that 90% of it happens in the car ride on the way home. Going, yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I do all my best thinking after game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just leave you to that. <laughs> so... So let's talk for a second about one of the three basic dynamics here, and that is players and players. So as a dungeon master, we're going we're gonna to talk to DMs before we jump into it as players. But as a DM, first of all, you're at the mercy of your player's level of interest and involvement. So if they decide that they want to have this sidebar, this relationship of best friends or mentor student or whatever it is, protector and innocent, whatever the relationship is, you are at the mercy of their level of interest and involvement. You don't have control over this. This is what they showed up to do. And your job is to adjudicate, referee, world build, and facilitate as needed. That's what a DM does. Sometimes that means going hands-off and letting them just do their own thing. Facilitate as needed. Now, if they're going to fuck up your world, you get in and you say no. If they're going to end up having a rivalry, you might need to be a referee. You might have to adjudicate certain rules if they say, yeah, so we're going to go get married. You'd be like, well, okay, right, but... You guys are behind the enemy lines in orc territory. There's not really a temple for you to go do that at, so put a pin in that. There's always a temple. The DM gets involved, but it, you have to provide opportunities and keep the player's wants and needs in mind. Don't just say yes and let them go fucking hog wild, and don't just say no because this is something they want to do. I need a pretty damn good reason for me to say no to a player, right? If they're going to 
drive however long it took to drive, if they're going to clear their schedule, if they're going to build a character and show up week after week after week, they've got hopes and dreams. Let them. Oh, absolutely. However, and again, as, as we mentioned before, it's session zero uh, where you're going to come up with these boundaries and uh, you need to know what those boundaries are. It has to be clear for everybody. And it's okay for you to check in with other people at the table after a session, before a session, or even during a session. Say, is everyone okay with this? We're all comfortable with it. it is, if there's anyone who does not want to see these two wed, speak now or forever hold your peace. He owes me $5. Yeah. So... Well, because I even remember like one of the romances I was thinking of starting, Adam, we were just like, we don't even have to role play it. He's like, you can just say, this is a character I want to have a romantic relationship and it'll just exist. Yeah. Right. Like there's certain levels of comfort that you can give your players as a GM when it comes to having those relationships and developments. So one of these days, we're finally going to get to do my completely new D&D campaign. But for now, it, we just got to cater to. Poor innocent Dan and the rest of us are just going to have to be rated PG with it, right? Yeah, so, got to get that after dark game in there. <laughs> one of these days, Tyler looks like he's very uncomfortable. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to imagine and then trying not to imagine at the same time. <laughs> uh, now for players, now that we've talked about the DM side of this for players, here's the meat. Remember, you are allowed to have whatever kind of relationship that you want as long as everyone is on the same page. You can get into it and be as descriptive as you want up until people become uncomfortable. And that does not just mean you and the person that you're role-playing with. And I'm not, again, I don't necessarily mean romance. I mean, if, for example, if we had four players, if it was Dan, Dave, Charlie, and Megan at the table, and Dan, Dave, and Charlie are all friends from their old circus and, and Charlie's the adopted brother of, and they cut Megan out of that. That's not cool. Cause now we have one outsider. Yeah. That's an imbalance, right? So you have to remember, it's not just about you or you and your friend. It's about everyone at the table. And sometimes as, that yeah. includes the DM. As you mentioned earlier, it's, it becomes an entity. It isn't just a character trait. It is a part of the story. And that's what we want to do is to facilitate, uh, a development of a story. Absolutely. And you have to be aware of the limited resources that you have that you might be taking away from. And just as a quick refresher, although I think it's been like 200 episodes since I've mentioned this, as a player, the resources that you have are time for gameplay, right? It's everybody's Saturday night and they're going to spend the whole fucking time watching you flirt with your best friend. Not cool, right? Rain that shit in. Hard I pass. have heard that from players. This is not how I wanted to spend my Friday. The next one is time in the spotlight. So you're in game, sure, and everybody's playing and we're all in the same path, but you're playing the main character in your own mind and you're cutting everybody else off. Not cool. Mm -hmm. Remember, if you're going to have a relationship with other people, that's going to cut into everyone else's time in the spotlight. So keep an eye on that. It's okay to use your time that way, but don't monopolize the time. Another resource is the other player's interest and or patience. You'll know when you're spending too much time uh, in gameplay or in the spotlight when you start to see them with their phones out, when you see them get up and walk away to use the bathroom, because this is no longer interesting. When you get put on mute, if you're playing online, these are things to, to watch out for when these guys uh, have just kind of run their, their limits with you. 
And the other one, and I think people forget this, the Dungeon Master's interest and or patience also matters because they have prepped how much shit to do today? Yeah. How many dungeon maps have they drawn up? How many stat blocks have they uh, put notes or or flagged, bookmarked in their their books? How many screens do they have open because they've got all this reference material? How many scripts have they written? How many NPC names have they prepped? And you are sitting here going, and I pluck the little pink rose and I give it to her and say, I think you're awfully swell. Great. We can narrate this and move on. We don't need to go piece by piece through this, right? Yeah. Um, One pedal. That's it. No more. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so just remember, there's a time and a place to engage these relationships and a time and a place to set them aside. The name of the game here is being aware of your context. Absolutely. Now, there isn't really anything that can be codified or gamified when it comes to how to role play or build relationships between players. As a matter of fact, there are tons of podcasts and episodes and YouTube videos where people try to come up with your top 10 basic rules, your top five rules. And I find that they're only moderately helpful at best. You just need to be aware of nuance and shifting perspectives around the table. No one knows your position better than you do, um, except maybe your DM who asked like it's their job to be aware of everybody else. So err on the side of caution. When you're dealing with other players, you have to make sure that A, they are having fun and B, everyone else is having fun. And you should be putting yourself last in that order. Because if everyone else is having fun and the person you're role-playing with is having fun, then you get to do the thing you want and you're having fun too. It just goes along with it. So Another thing to think about too is keep in mind the difference between um, the, the idea of this happening with players and this happening with characters in-game. As players, we want to, they want to be aware of it. We want to have this in mind. The player characters... They, won't, they may not have a clue at all or anything. We want to keep that in mind as we're going here. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, let's grab dice. I've got a couple of questions for you guys. I got a 13. 16. 8. All right, Megan. What's the best romance you've seen between two player characters? Oh, man. Um, I'm going to say, like, I honestly, like, I, I have to speak to the one that I played in. And it's just because it inspired a lot of different things. Um, and it, it lasted a couple of different seasons of the campaign we were playing in. So again, it was like one of those things where our characters were started off as friends, um, ended up going through some shit together, ended up falling in love, but their love was not necessarily kept secret, but they were both shy and they were specifically characters that were built not to fall in love. Like, I remember doing, like, the first opening, like, development of these characters in Session Zero, and both of them were like, no, we don't want to get married, we're going to be alone forever. And then at some point in time, something clicked and switched. But no one at the table really saw what was happening between the two, except for a couple of really, really small, like, conversations and exchanges that seemed a little cute and a little funny. We're like, oh, like, pop your fan, have a nice time. Um, But then what ended up happening was he ended up almost dying. And then my character became the center of attention for a hot 20 seconds for the first time in two seasons of playing this campaign. Because she was like, absolutely not. And like, they, <laughs> anyways, at the end of the day, they ended up being together forever. And like, to the point where the player that I was playing with wrote our death story. So, um, and like the death story ended up being that my character ended up becoming um, terminally ill. And of course, his character was had the magical capability to be like, I can make us immortal and we can just live together forever. And my character is basically like, no, 
I want to live my life as a mortal and I want to die as a mortal and I want to live a regular life. And so he had to accept that his wife would eventually die. And what do we do with that? So he basically just took their spirits and combined them together so that they do die as mortals, but they live forever within the ether together. But we wrote that death story before the story even finished because we wanted that to be kind of like what our characters led up to. And I think that that kind of really bowed the connection that they had. So you're welcome. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, it's it's a funny. tear to my eye. <laughs> uh, when I think about the best romances I've ever seen between two player characters, I've got to be completely honest. For the first like 10 years that I played D&D, it was only dudes and no one would ever do that. It was very toxic masculinity. D&D was a puzzle in 3.5 to figure out the best way to beat the math. And yeah. in fourth edition, it was very much you're moving pieces on a board. And so these were strategy games, and this was not a place for romance. It wasn't until we hit fifth edition. And even then, early on, everyone wanted to play their own character and do their own thing and be their own hero. And it wasn't until kind of the second campaign um that or the sorry the third campaign went through curse of strahd first which i just remembered mm. where people started to have interpersonal relationships um and this is megan i'm going to i'm going to say you specifically were probably the best i've seen at this because you and terry had this like will they won't they for about four sessions yeah. and then you're like okay fine fine probably they will and then he died directly in front of your character yeah. and rose again as a zombie and you had to fucking kill him. So it was so traumatic that it stands out as being just a Greek tragedy in my head. And that's its own kind of beautiful romance. Um, and to find out that they're both still around as undead, but very much on opposing sides right now yeah. is just everything I needed it to be. It was perfect. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the killer is the silence romance. Like, cause like we never, we never really talked about it. It just kind of developed with weird, small things our characters would do together. Yeah. And then again, the will they, won't they tit for tat back and forth. So it was definitely an enemies to lovers situation if it was ever going to happen, but. And and it, it built and built and built and then just got snuffed out. And it yeah. was just like, there was nothing but a wisp of smoke. And you were so, I mean, everyone around the table was upset in the moment, but your character dealt with that trauma for weeks. Yeah, I will game. never love again. Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, what was the best uh, romance that you've ever seen between two player characters? Well, to be quite honest, a lot of the campaigns that I've played in or DM'd, there hasn't been a lot of player-to-player -player romantic relationships. However, one that does stand out to me, and it's more comical than anything and one-sided, with uh, one couple that, uh, that was playing in our group that I was DMing, he, uh, one of the players was actually playing two characters because he's an experienced player and he wanted to have his son join like in the, in, in game, his son joined the campaign. Um, I'm like, sure. I trust you. It's fine. However, the, the son was trying, trying to hit on one of the other players and just in real life, it's his wife. And, okay. but the, but she, she would shoot him down every single time. And it was just this fun relationship to see that he would try and she'd be like, no, still no, not going to happen. And you'd think uh, at one point she'd give it, no, never did. But I was still a lot of fun to see the development between that. And that's the thing is when we think of romance, we think that it has to be something that succeeds. Yeah. And that's not necessarily the case. And even what you were just mentioning, Adam, it's this idea of uh, that kind of happened, but it's the Greek tragedy. 
it's this idea of a romance even for a comical side of things can be just one-sided person trying and not working and so it, we want to think of it in that way as well not just is something has to succeed yeah megan what's the best non-romantic dynamic you've seen between two characters <laughs> me and dan <laughs> <laughs> oh dear uh yeah i would say like we've had the same kind of non-romantic dynamic between our characters every time we've played together and it's been very similar of his character screws up my character gets mad at him but like i found adam has done a very very good job about navigating that dynamic to a remain it that it's comical but at the at the end of the day we're still going to save each other's lives like we still have the same dynamic in this current play campaign that we're playing in that his character screws up my character gets mad and we're the last two surviving of our group our, our original group of like six characters, we are the last two surviving from the original like set. And I feel like our characters are hell bent to keep each other alive, which is what shifted it to more of like, we are now a legitimate friendship, but every once in a while, I'll still smack them upside the head for doing something dumb. But and now instead of being like, well, if you're going to do something stupid, I'll leave you behind. She's like, no, I'll stay with you and I'll protect you once you've done the dumb thing that you're going to do because needs him to be, needs him to live. You guys were brought together for safety originally. Yeah. And then you stayed together because safety in numbers and survival and we need to get to the next city and there's more going on here than we realize. And now you are soldiers in the trenches together and yep. found family because you both lost all the family you had. Yep. Even though, even though my long lost brother is back, I still look at his character more like a brother than the brother that I have at the table. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's it's really fun and interesting to watch you guys go through it because it, there's such a god damn it Dan moment on, in every single at, like session that we play, <laughs> uh, and it it was a common thing in the last campaign as well where where Dan's character was constantly apologizing. Sorry, Captain, but I'm going to do this, and then he would go off and do it, and then you would yell at him afterwards, right? So yeah, um, I think. My favorite one was between me and Jamie, actually, because it was a non-romantic relationship that most people don't think about. And I built my character, not knowing anyone else at the table except for Jamie, I, I wanted kind of an in because I was learning the system in 5th edition as well at the time. And so I decided that my character was a cleric because fuck did they need healing in that campaign. My, my character had a vision that his character would save the orphanage I grew up in. And I needed him to live. And so I was just straight up front with everybody from the very first minute of the first session was, if it comes down to you or him, I'm choosing him every time. I have to keep him alive. He is the chosen one, the destined, the prophesied one that is going to save my home. Mm. And my absolute loyalty to him was slowly starting to degrade my moral standpoint my my lawful good was slowly becoming neutral neutral because he was just a force of nature he was a stereotypical barbarian mm -hmm. right with the life cleric following him around and that was a lot of fun um probably the most gradual shift that i'd seen and then at the end of the campaign when his character left uh because they moved away he finally got a chance to go save the orphanage and he was and he failed and it absolutely destroyed him to the point where he still talks to me about it years later. Yeah, so. love it. Tyler, what what do you have? I I think one of the best dynamic, kind of non romantic relationships that I've been I've seen, or at least I should say developing, because 
It's actually in a campaign that I'm currently DMing for Curse of Strahd. And it's these are two players that were in the previous campaign, they're in this one, and they're both nobles, but from two different sides of an attitude. One is a pompous ass changeling who thinks he's better than everyone else and tries to steal things. Whereas the other is a noble paladin type of thing. And they just have contrary attitudes towards each other. But at the same time, they're just protecting each other. And they're always kind of at each other's throats. But at the same, it just, you could see the, that how well it is developing. And it's just a lot of fun to watch them. And they're being almost as if they're rivals, like what we talked about previously, but it just develops more and more and more, which is what I love. Uh, They came to a point in their last session, even where they were one is I need to do this for the past few sessions. You were talking now and like, okay, what's going on? And it's just the idea of, do you have this? Do I have this? Who has this item? And one tried to blame it on the other. And it just, it got to a point of, they were building this relationship of, I don't like you, but I do like you, mm-hmm. but don't try and do this to me anymore. And then, but I'm going to continue to try and do that to you. It's just building of this, uh, this dynamic relationship, which did not happen in a previous campaign and seeing it just develop. And I'm excited to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Megan, do you have any advice for players who want to develop a dynamic relationship with another player's character? That's, more fleshed out than simply being co-murder hobos? I think it comes down to having those small relationship anecdotes. And I think about it the same way. I think about how if your player has tics or things that kind of make them stand out as a person, everyone's relationship or connection is also going to have a tick or something that keeps them connected. It's like, for instance, in the romantic one that I was playing, our thing was that he would meditate and they would sit back to back so that she could protect him while he was meditating. And that was just how they would sit. And so anyone who found them or would come across them, that's how they would be. Um, Or things like, you know, for Dan and I's characters, I would smack him upside the head or I'd say, oh, oh, Lockie, you know, like roll my eyes at him, like all those kinds of things. That's what kept our characters connected. Um, I think that those pieces are important to kind of flesh out because it gives you something to fall back on as a physical representation of your relationship without having to have a long drawn out conversation. Right. So like I'm playing in a campaign right now where um, Steve and I are of the same grouping and he's playing the bad cop. I'm playing the good cop. So he says something out of turn. He gets a swift fan to the shoulder, right? So people see that dynamic between us because it's a physical entity, but it's just something that we do repeatedly. So it establishes that solidification. So it's just something to think about when you're kind of having those moments with folks. I think that for me, the best piece of advice that I can give to players who who want to make more out of it than normal is to listen and show respect. Mm-hmm. Even if the other person is running around like a maniac, this is what the player wants to get out of it. It's what they're, they've designed their player character to be. And you need to learn that character as well as you know your own so that you can honor what they want and need and team up with them. Yeah. Right? Otherwise, you're going to misread signals or you're going to be like, hey, I got this thing for you. And it just doesn't connect. Right? It needs to... You've got to make it personal for the other player to pick up on. Right? And uh, players are dumb. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't say I don't just say this is a forever DM. I say it as a player myself. That when I am a player, I'm focused on me and myself only, and the things that are affecting me. I'm vaguely aware of what everyone else is going through, but I'm also very much trying to beat the puzzle, kill the guy, get the clues, figure out my way through it and around it. And it's usually at the end of a long ass week, and I'm I'm pretty tired and. We've been playing for a few hours, and I might not pick up on those signals and clues. So you need to break through my mental fog. And the best way to do that is to listen to what I've got to say as a player, respect what I have to say, and then honor it somehow. So that if if I had committed to Jamie's character is going to be the savior of my orphanage, and he didn't reciprocate that sentiment, if he just said, weird, whatever, and moved on, that would not have been a dynamic. That would have simply just been one person trying to role play and the other person shrugging them off, right? So yeah. you have to engage at that level. I recommend that everybody does that with every character around the table to some degree, but if you want to get it to be more than that, listen and observe and understand, respect it, and then honor it with your actions. That will bring mm. two characters in line. I also do that with uh, friends and people I like in real life, and it works well. Good to know. And then I berate them horribly for simply being Dan. It's a balanced <laughs> game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's uh, similar to the advice that I would give as well, but I, I, I would want to put it to know the whole table. You want to build and know the story that you're a part of, um, or you or at least know your setting. As a player, for example, if you're playing in. Uh, let's just say a, a curse of Strahd. Know know where you're, where you are currently, and where everyone else is, uh, and and don't try and make it just about you, but make it about developing the story as a whole because the whole group is writing the story together. When you so, say when you say know where everybody else is, do you mean like their headspace and emotionally, or do you mean like uh, no more so um, location of the campaign? Where like know that everyone else is in this same campaign as you. That it isn't just about you. It is everyone all together. You want to develop a relationship? Great. Understand your setting. Understand where you and everyone else is. But also yeah. know their headspace too. Yeah, it's 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 a, a good hint for both Dungeons and Dragons and real real life. If you want to be in a successful relationship, you can't make it about just you. Exactly. Megan, do you have any advice for DMs about how they can make this experience more interesting and fulfilling when the players are trying to interact with the players? I think that it's about challenging them to have those conversations at the table when they're ready to have them or kind of force them into situations where they can have some of those more intimate conversations and develop those little nuances between themselves, right? If you're noticing that two characters or you know that their backstory holds something that brings them together... Uh, put them in a situation where it gets challenged and then see how they deal with that, right? So it, I feel like that's more entertaining for us anyways as DMs is putting our characters in situations where they're going to talk to each other for 20 minutes instead of me having to navigate a battle map. So, and your players might not always be ready to do that. So if they if you get to a point where they're in a situation having an awkward conversation, use a DM, have that power to intervene magically and kind of move things along and kind of help that go. But there's nothing more fun than challenging them and putting them in a situation that challenges that relationship um, or put they give them opportunities to solidify it. Right. And it, it, it helps honor the work they're putting into their relationships. Um, and they're going to enjoy their, their situation a lot more because they're going to notice that their DM has noticed. Right. So, yeah. 
the big you, you kind of are adjacent to my big thing was for dms understand pacing know when enough is enough when it comes to um the high octane ticking clock here we are combat after combat watching the hit points and the the magic potions and shit take take your foot off the gas sometimes and we get a lot of mileage out of you guys going to the bar what do you want to do this is not the bar in the new town we have to go talk to the guy in the corner with the no you have earned downtime everybody level but while you're doing it what are you doing tonight what what's what's in the bar how are you going to pass the next few hours this is when people can have the conversations and it doesn't have to be at a bar everyone takes rests what are you doing during your rest i'm going to go look for firewood uh, i guess i'll go with them great what are you guys talking about right every decision that they make is an opportunity for them to discover something new but it doesn't have to be something to discover with the plot it can be something to discover with their character. So hands off, ask open-ended questions that don't require a yes or no answer and let them, and pair them up strangely as often as you can so that they can learn to know each other and they will build relationships with the other players around the table. I would say the last piece of advice I would give, and this is going to be more so for the other players at the table, play with perception, play with how the other player characters see these two players or these two player characters now the the players outside the game meta knowledge may know may know something or may not know something that they are planning on doing play as if the player characters have no idea or give them completely the wrong signals and have them play that out i had one time just recently where two players were in a closet going up against a a broom for seven minutes in the closet together (laughs) Uh, well, uh, more like 60 seconds. Cause think of six seconds per round. That's, that's a lot of rounds and see, <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh, but yeah, because this apparently they they had a lot of trouble with this broom, but the other players hear a lot of banging inside this closet. Yeah. And what the heck is going on in there? And they open up the closet door and then to give, they had such a bad perception check of what was happening in there that it just looked like the guy was leaning on this broom hitting on this this female dwarf and they're like we'll give you guys a little bit of space and they close the door and then proceed to leave and hear the pounding again so play with perception of how the other player characters see the player character the two player characters if something is happening maybe nothing is happening but have fun with it let your players player characters assume things and then yeah. play it out yeah especially for npcs you can you can lead your player characters down a down a dark road into the forest with an npc who's just like really is that what you meant to say right and just <laughs> reacting like that by having them npc reactions can be such a huge thing that that really do guide the role playing side of of things uh which brings us to our next thing which is players and npcs um and let's talk to players again remember that when you're dealing with npcs the way that you react and your interactions with those npcs is one of the best ways that you can reward and support your dungeon masters indifference irreverence and disrespecting npcs is undermining your dungeon masters prep plans and hard work and i'll tell you this right now i have got a fantastic table i never want to murder anyone as quickly as when i introduce a character and they immediately get dismissed. That usually happens with a, 
Uh, I didn't bother to learn their name. I'm just going to call them this. Drives me up the fucking wall. All you needed to do was listen. That was it. I put hours into this. That That's it. Is so, that why you try and kill Dan's character every time? He is one of the most egregious ones when it comes to, I'm just going to give him a nickname. Because he's, he's got one foot still planted in 3.5. And uh, I don't get that from the newer players. They're still hanging on every word. The more role-playing you do, the more likely you are to say, subconsciously, I've heard this before. How can I keep this interesting? Make a joke, right? Mm-hmm. And if you want to have a dynamic relationship with an NPC, you have got to put the same amount of work that the DM puts in, right? And you have to be aware of what kind of NPC that is. There are, I break it down in my own head to be like there's four different kinds. There's set dressing, like you walk into the crowded marketplace, there are a couple of gnomes over the corner talking, there's a family of Goliaths walking through. This is set dressing. I'm describing a crowded place. These people don't matter. There are guards lined up all the way around the throne room. That's set dressing. They're not NPCs. They are pieces of the environment. Then there's Splash in the Pond. These are the ones that often blow up in a DM's face, but they're the ones that are, they come in, they deliver one or two lines, and then they fuck off again. Sometimes it really matters. Sometimes it's a clue. Sometimes it's, oh, you haven't heard about the old mill? And then they they will give you exposition. They create ripples, but they themselves disappear very quickly. Was that, that old the guy with the weird voice? To, sorry? What was that old guy with the weird voice that gave us this prophecy? Yeah, right? It's mm-hmm. uh. It's the uh, the lady in the water that hands out Excalibur. Tell me anything besides the fact that she was a lady in the water holding a sword. Was that a character or is that just someone impacting the story? Ghosts. It depends on the version it's... that you're going with, but okay, let's go with that. Um, when it comes to agency for NPCs, you need to think about, okay, if we up it a little bit, they should never, ever, ever dictate what the plot is. That's up to the characters to interact with. The character's decisions are what makes the plot, right? You can give conflicts, but every once in a while you'll end up with a uh, NPC that is trying to control the plot, like your villain, right? Or your um, your bouncer that doesn't want to let them into the tavern. The roadblocks. These are the people that have to be overcome. Sometimes it's the merchant who just wants to get an extra 15 gold pieces out of you. It's a hurdle. These are another kind of NPCs. They're not necessarily meant to be main features main factors your campaign villain maybe strahd very much is a complex character but his lieutenants aren't necessarily depending on the campaign that you're playing and then the final one is the character foils these are your sidekicks your pets your um your campaign villain these are the ones that are going to make the characters learn shit about themselves based on how they interact so as a player, you need to know what level of NPC you're dealing with, because if you want to go have a deep relationship with the goblin merchant over in the corner that is just at a generic uh, vendor stand at a market, at an open air market, he's selling um, meat. <laughs> this is not oh, someone who is fleshed out, meat. right? You are now barking up the wrong tree. This is where Boblin the Goblin starts to come into play, where the DM gets derailed, has to come up with bullshit off, you know, the getting through by the skin of their teeth on this right so so be aware of kind of what the dm has set up now sometimes you do need to pull out a thread sometimes you are going to get really interested by that fire genasi with the flaming hair right like that will just happen but understand like we said before figure out your dm's level of interest and and patience on this 
We've got to give, um, as dungeon masters now, we have to give player interactions outcomes. This is the best way to have uh, an NPC become important. Remember, every NPC has a purpose for being there in that place at that time. If they aren't there, if they get killed, and this has happened to so many DMs where the the character gets like that's in the campaign setting gets murdered, and then is supposed to show up three chapters later to save the day. Well, fuck, now what? How do I do this? So if they aren't there, what vacuum does that create? If Strahd shows up for the first time and some lucky asshole chops his head off, what vacuum does that create? Who is going to step up and finish this story? How do other NPCs feel about the characters? When a character struts into the bar and says, Hi, I'm here and I'm I'm going to, as the bard, I'm going to take the stage and make a few coins. Okay, what about what about the minstrel who was sitting in the corner waiting for his set and he's just been derailed because the bar walked in or the bard walked in? Mm -hmm. Damn it. It's okay. You now have a relationship. That is a thing that has happened, but you have to have uh, an outcome to this interaction, right? Yeah. Otherwise it fizzles and it goes away. Mm -hmm. And it's it's okay to be meta about it. It's okay to say, all right, look, if, if you kill the prince now, the 19 guards in the room are going to attack you. Mm -hmm. That is the direct outcome. Your characters would know this. I love the rule of your character would know this. So remember. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> and that's just honest DMing, right? That's not holding the players accountable to understand the perfect context that I've created in my mind. Mm -hmm. right so remember outcomes don't have to be mechanical and they certainly don't have to be punishments i i originally wrote down that it should be consequences but that has such a negative impact that word so outcomes can be very very positive things as well you can have that the bard go up and and play this amazing set and that the minstrel that got totally derailed isn't going to make money but holy shit man that guy can play a loot if we team up tomorrow night we could be the best band in history, right? Yeah. It, you can absolutely have, and that's a reward for your player doing, getting a 22 on the performance check, right? Like that's, that's such a good thing to happen to the bard. That's what they want, right? Character evolution changing consistently what the character thinks of the players and, and their level of commitment is absolutely paramount for NPCs. And you have to remember that your job should be to encourage the player character to do what they want to do. Even if they're a barbarian that wants to get in fistfights over and over again, the next time he walks into the bar after he just kicked the shit out of the bouncer two nights ago, he walks in again now, everybody stops and looks at him, and one guy look, runs up to him and goes, you gonna do it again? Yeah, let's go. And everybody else goes, oh shit, it's the guy, right? These are important important interactions that are going to have your players begin to engage. Now, I love having NPCs that seek out player characters for benign reasons that can be really rewarding. Like I just said about the guy that um, watches the bard or that runs up to the barbarian. Listening, engaging, and respect are incredible gifts to give to players from NPCs. And this is how you get on a player's good side, right? It's okay to stroke the player's egos. They showed up to be the main characters of the story. Not the main character, singular, but the main characters as a group. They're playing the game so that they can feel like heroes and champions. Let them. Give them the, the NPCs that are going to, even if they don't agree with them, even if they don't like them, respect them. <coughs> now, the last thing that I want to say is that a lot of NPCs... 
a lot of players, like I said, players are dumb. Um, we can't assume that they're all going to be super charismatic or incredibly perceptive. Uh, what we can say is that uh, they have a basic understanding of how human beings work. So begin with very basics when you get started with these kind of interactions. NPCs should react strongly. The more important they become, the more subtle and nuanced and complex their interactions can become. But the first time that you run into them, they should be fairly straightforward and simple to understand. Even if they're hiding a secret, they should be obviously hiding that secret. If you don't want the players to know because there's a betrayal coming up, then don't give them gray area to work with. At the broad strokes, you should be keeping your villains laughing maniacally until they get to know the villain and learn the motivations later. So I use things like, it's not enough to just kind of like smirk when a player tells a joke. You've got to laugh uproariously. You can't just have the, the player character wander in and flirt with the barmaid and have her go, oh, you, and walk away. The fuck does that mean? Especially for half of the D&D players out there who have never actually spoken to a member of the opposite sex before. So you should have them blush deeply. They shouldn't just cock their head when you say it. They need to narrow their eyes. These evocative words are what's going to, that's what's going to paint the picture for the players. You have to do more than just, just kind of tilt your head and smile. You have to grin secretly between you and I, right? You don't just get ignored and pretend that the player doesn't speak. You dismiss them offhandedly. Narrate is the point I'm trying to make here. And narrate with descriptive words. They can't just, they can't just pout. They have to stomp their feet. Almost to the point of being comical. Not comical, but almost. To the point where, in reality, you would think that's an overactor. But at a D&D table, this is what's going to help you draw your players in. I would just add on to this to keep it simple still. Exactly. And that that's the point, is we're keeping it really broad at first, and we're being very straightforward and very descriptive. Don't just say, he says this. He doesn't just say it. He snarls it, or he cheers it, or he bellows it. Get rid of the, he goes over here and does the thing. Get rid of does, get rid of the thing. Stop being generic. No one does stuff. No one is nice or fine. Everyone has an issue, but it needs to be very, very, very specific and very simple until the next time you meet them. Yep. And then you can start to become more subtle. You can start to become more nuanced until you get to the point where they are now a sidekick and there's a real relationship here and you are essentially playing another character at the table. Let's grab dice. I want to roll again. Yeah. I got 18. a six. You say 18? 18. Fuck off. 13. All right. Well, Megan, you're first again. Amazing. What is the best romance that you've seen between a player and an NPC? Urban We're going to start with romance again because it's what people clicked on. They want relationships. So yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so nice, romance. Well, like, so my main one from our main campaign is Urbandale. And I would say that because his character was created so flawlessly by you, Adam, and inserted at a very dark and sinister time in our characters' lives. But he was this like overly boisterous, again, almost the point of being comical, like man of valor and was just like, oh, I will help you with that. I will pick that up for you. Oh, you need you need me to make you food. I will make you food. Weirdly, I am also a chef. Phenomenal. And just like was and he was like super attractive, like and was spoken as being a very attractive person. All of the char- most of the characters at the table had a crush and a legitimate romance was never really created, but everybody had a crush on this man. Except and, Dan, who was so pissed off. 
<laughs> but again, and like it was just such this weird added comic relief, but also like a seriousness because when he ended up eventually dying, um, my character did have an emotional reaction to it because she was connected and like cared about this human being, even though he was the most comical thing on the planet. It was like he was this breath of fresh air for our characters who've been gone going through all these such traumatic things that happened. Right. It was like he was a gift that the DM gave us as players as here's this person you can develop these relationships with. And again, they didn't get to the point of being full on romance, but definite crushes and like swooning when they would touch hands and like all that kind of stuff. But and we overplayed it, too, as players. Right. It gave us an opportunity to kind of play with that at the table because he was being overly comical. We were kind of being overly comical back. And he ended up being in the campaign probably for longer than Adam thought he was going to be in my mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but eventually ended up dying and like having to leave and all that kind of stuff. But like, it, I feel like that was the best way to insert a ro- like a romance or a romantic connection and almost teach your players how to build romantic connections because it was so comical and entertaining and a breath, again, a breath of fresh air. Right. Do, do, do you know how I made him? Uh, how did you make him, Adam? <laughs> the, my, my inspiration for him was for everybody out there that has been, for every guy that not necessarily has been cheated on, but is suspicious of that your fucking partner's yoga instructor. <laughs> and so I made a yoga instructor. Yeah. He was there to give back rubs and to to light your pipe and to, do you just want to go grab a beer? I'll do this. Don't worry. You keep yourself calm. I'll get you a blanket. And then we can sit down and talk this out. Right. And the thing, the one thing that he didn't ever go after was a relationship. Yeah. He was there to just be the perfect man for everyone at the table, including Dan's character. Dan was just horribly jealous and enraged the entire time, which was a choice he made. And he leaned into it. And that was, that was great. Yeah. But having someone just be a good guy. You're right. At like what the campaign was at its absolute shittiest. Yeah. It was like, it was just such a nice little like nugget that we got. And again, even though it didn't lead to actual legitimate romances, all of the characters felt romanced. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So I think that, that was just a great way to kind of like have that introduction of what's possible. Listen, respect, and engage. That's all you have to do. Yeah. I'll always say Irvindale forever has my heart. <laughs> Um, the best romance that I've seen between a player and an NPC is probably going to be Terry and his, uh, CrossFit half work. Um, and my reasoning for this, although we have memed it to death and made a whole bunch of jokes about it to the point where we actually now on the Patreon discord have a, uh, small emoji that one of our patrons has created Mm -hmm. now, um, the orc. Yeah. So what happened was he rescued her, but she was able to be a bit of a combatant. And so he ended up training her up and it started off as I'm going to create, here's someone that I'm protecting. I need to make it so that she can protect herself. And then I kept describing her with these rippling muscles and I didn't want the small little damsel. She was huge with big biceps and like ripped washboard abs and stuff. She picked him up and moved him out of the way one time of enemy fire. And stuff, and he's like, I don't know how to feel about this. This is kind of fun and amazing. And because he was listening, because he was paying attention and he wanted to engage more, he just kept wanting to spend more and more time with her until finally she turned to him and said, I think we should mate. And he did not know how to handle that at the table. <laughs> and he just kind of 
floundered and flustered and we faded to black and and he then spent the next four or five sessions doting on this character because he did not know what to expect next because she did not feel like an archetype at that point he had spent Mm -hmm. enough time growing to know the nuances of this character that she became a real person and then it was worthwhile i think one of the best romances i've seen uh between a player and an npc was in the campaign we were doing it was near the end of the campaign and all the characters have developed but the one person in here everyone was trying to hook her up with all sorts of people other npcs and everything she's like no 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 it's just no i'm good thanks no then we met hades and then she just fell in love with him say less It, but it was just a, a great relational development. It was like a switch, a complete like she's she's like saying no to everyone else. Then when she met Hades and got to know him and we uh, develop Hades, developing Hades as a character for the players to to understand and kind of get to know. Again, we're near end game, so yes, he's very high powered, way more high power than they will ever be. However they developed a boon with him and got to know him and he fell in love with her and she with him. And it got to the point at the very end of the game when I said, okay, what are your players doing now? The game is done. What's happening? She wound up, I'm just going to stay in the underworld with him. And I'm just, I'm going to be just staying there with him. We're going to be together. Whether you want to call that husband and wife or not, I don't know. I'm like, that's totally fine. But it was something that was built up. It was something that it was, it was a great relationship that kind of de- that uh, that developed, and it really added to the story, especially when he was able to come in at one point and save their asses. Hmm. But there was reason for it. It wasn't just oh, I need to get them out of this. No, there was a reason why he was there. He was invested into her. Yeah. Do we have uh, an example of a good non-romantic dynamic that you've seen between a player character and an NPC? Um, I've seen it happen, uh, like, the only one that I can really speak to that's been recent for me is my current player, Kaya, is playing in a campaign where her brother, Kayam, exists, um, but didn't for a long time, um, because she thought he was dead and or, you know, destroyed by her family clan and all these things, but ended up being a character or an NPC that, um, Mieka is, um, romancing right now. So they have a romance going on, but it's my character's brother. So we have a non-romantic um, connection. And because Mika's in and out playing, like not being at the table that much, and my my brother goes with her character because they're romancing. So I only get so much time with my brother, but it kind of adds the awkwardness of like the fact that they didn't actually grow up together. So they don't know each other, but they are brother and sister. And when he showed up, he was a complete shell of the person that she remembers him being. So they're starting to develop their relationship anew, but they do still have this weird undertone of they are my family and I need to protect them and I will not allow them to die. So when it comes to dire straits, they tend to be the first, like for Kaya anyways, it's the first person she thinks of, of out of all of these people, I'm going to make sure this person stays alive because they are my family. They are the last surviving of my kin. And it's a different kind of like thing to navigate. Also knowing that someone at the table is doing a PC and PC romance with that character. So it's a very fun little web that we've weaved. <laughs> I swear to God, I'm going to get you all doing six degrees of separation by the time that we're we're done with this. Because you guys have, uh, you're all family or or romantically engaged or something. Yeah. Um, except for Dan, but, but we'll get there. We're best buddies. 
<laughs> Tyler, I think I went second last time, but it should have been you because you rolled higher. Uh, oh, you're right. Yeah, that's true. We were caught on the first time. Uh, I, I would say one of the best ones I've seen is, I guess, in our last campaign is just so when they were, uh, they got to know the, the, the quest giver. It was the leader. It was the queen of Emerald City. And they really got to know her. And there was no one that was in a romantic relationship with her. Again, one of them tried, but he was the one who tried to hit on every single female. But there was no, there was no romance or anything happening there with any of the characters and her, but they still loved her as a character and as an NPC. And they wanted to keep her alive when something was happening and she was trying to risk her own life to save the city and them. They were on the, they were on the dais with her to risk their own lives to save her and and also the rest of the city because they cared so much about who she was. And it really just brought that up even more so. And it was great because at the very end, we were bringing in another player who's going to join us in the next game. But I wanted her to come in to kind of see what we do. And she wound up playing that character for the last like two sessions. And so they were able to kind of really already be attached to this character. And it, it was a, I found it was a, a really one of the best things that I've seen them for growing and uh, again, loving an NPC and not in a romantic way, but just, just cherishing them. I'm sitting here racking my brain, trying to come up with a good non-romantic dynamic relationship. Urbandale. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he was, after about 30 seconds, he suddenly became coded as, as a romantic interest for everyone. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, who's, the, who's, your, who's that cobalt that you always have in every single one? Uh, or is it the... I do have, okay, so I do have a Cronus. There's been an Acronis in every single campaign I've ever run. Um, and he just kind of flittered around in the background a little bit. And most of my players, I think, in the last campaign didn't even interact with him. He was there, but no one ever engaged. Um, so I'm just trying to think of a, of a good example. But honestly, as a DM, I, have, I make so many fucking NPCs that... And you guys are all really good at interacting with them. Um, I think my favorite one right now in our campaign is probably going to be um, Charlie's character came with two dads. Mm -hmm. One of them is Melf, who is, you know, of, of the Melf's Acid Arrows fame. Um, and so he's got two wizard dads, one of them with a dark past and one of them who's got a bright and shiny um, past. And they adopted his character at a young age and uh and they just have the healthiest relationship that i have ever seen in a dungeons and dragons campaign mm -hmm. where they just love and support him and when they thought that he was in danger they ripped a hole in space and time and ran through a portal to go get him um, they went the wrong direction and now we got to go rescue them but like there were straight Sorry. up like <laughs> we role played dinners at their houses and shit. And between them and Casey and Mieka's parents are both there as well. We just have really wholesome parental um relationships right now in D. Yeah. It's kind of like that whole concept when you're watching like a teen drama and you're like, where are the parents? Sometimes yeah. I think about that in D D being like, where are their parents? And I found it so fun that we're playing in a campaign where we have three sets of characters that have parents in this game. Yeah, I, I've I've started to lean into that a little bit more. And the more I think about it, the more I'm excited about 
um, about these. And and let me be clear, my plan is not to kill them. I cannot control players and, and what they're going to bring to the table. And I do need to, every once in a while, dangle someone over a, a fiery pit. But I am not planning on killing these parental figures. I don't want to kill NPCs. I turned to my players at the beginning of this campaign and said, give me NPCs. I don't want to kill them. Let's just have good relationships. Yeah. And so far, we've done pretty well with our NPCs. The, as a matter of fact, I think the only real big NPC that you guys felt really bad about dying was Tobolt, who was your character's sidekick slash romantic entanglement, almost. Fall in love, kill him. I get it. It's fine. <laughs> Well, building also, story. You guys, you guys started enemies as well. So you went uh, enemies to almost lovers, right? Yeah, I think the last thing she said to him before he died was, "You fucked up," and yeah. then then he got eaten and died. <laughs> How's that weighing on you, Megan? You know what? Pretty heavy, Adam. Pretty heavy. <laughs> um. So excellent development. Excellent. <laughs> so, do you guys have any advice for players who want to develop a dynamic relationship with an NPC that's more fleshed out? Uh I think from the player side, it is, again, to your point earlier, it's about that listening aspect. So if there's a thing about an NPC that stands out, that would stand out to your character, like let's say you go to a fighting arena and there's the strongest person there and your fighter group is like, I love that person, right? Don't be scared to be like, this is kind of a, this is a person I would like to talk to. Like in a game that I recently played in, uh, my character ended up in a horse race and she's the best racer. Like she's the best horse race. Like just, she's phenomenal. And she was going to win. all of the players, yours is the biggest racist. The biggest race. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Any hoozle. She knew she was going to win, but she was just doing it to kind of prove that her clan was number one. Uh, It was just making this so much better. And uh, there were two others that were racing against her and they were really good at like they almost beat her and so i made a comment being like i know you didn't flesh them out you just added them into this i went to my dm and i was like but i my character would be very interested in these two characters because they're equally as good at something she loves to do so if there's an opportunity to flesh them out a little bit i would like to do that kind of thing right and that was a conversation we had after that game and then i'm kind of hoping it'll show up in the next camp like the next game that i can actually interact with them is people but uh but yeah i think that's the big piece if you see an npc that's doing something your character be interested in have that conversation to say i want to flesh this out if you didn't get a chance to the first time it's not lost forever right i think that's the hard part that we always feel like we lost an opportunity as a player when we met an npc and then moved on to the next town really quickly because something happened if you have an interest share it with your dm and be like if they can come back it would be very interesting if they did or i have an interest in learning more about this person it's not always lost and do it in midweek. Yeah. Like, do it between sessions so the DM can plan it. Don't just sit there and say, what's their last name? Where do they come from? What village are they in? Do they have any relatives? What are their mm-hmm. names? Because, I swear to God, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Give them time to plan. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's actually going into what my advice would be is, thanks, Adam. No. Uh, <laughs> it's be willing, be willing to invest time uh, into getting to know this NPC. But don't take up the table's time. Do it during midweek. Do it on your own time to get to know this NPC. Because guess what? The DM wants this to happen. They want you to develop relationships with NPCs. And we want to do it in a simple way, in an easy way that the whole the whole uh, table can have fun with it. But if you specifically want to get invested into a particular NPC, ask the DM about it. But again, be willing to invest 
time into it. I think my big thing as far as advice for players goes is remember that no NPC just, I, I said this before, that there's always a rhyme and a reason behind them, right? There's a purpose to all of them. They they have a reason for existing and for being there. They have a purpose. And while dungeon masters have to keep their eye on that, know, you know, keep their eye on the prize, know the name of the game, all, all that shit. It's good for a player to figure out what a what a NPC wants. Because you might not know. Because the interaction right now with the oh, we ran up and I'm shoulder to shoulder with just the single most beautiful town guard that you've ever seen. And she's just absolutely the most interesting, exotic person who speaks with a real flourish. And she's just a master with, of all things, uh, a double-sided scimitar, right? Like, and, and you can really paint this interesting picture to someone that you are literally just meeting for the first time. You as the player know that, oh, they're a town guard. They're, they're all about killing and stuff. Right, but what does this NPC want? In the downtime, what do they want? What are they interested in? It's the same thing in reality. Find the common ground and work at it from, from that perspective. Because I'm telling you right now, the D&D trope of I'm going to hit on a barmaid drives me nuts because you shouldn't hit on the wait staff. They are being paid to be nice to you. They do not care. Their feet are sore and they want your tips. Do not flirt with the wait staff. That's not what it's about. If they're flirting with you, it is a business tactic. Dear D&D players, bards specifically, put more effort into it than that. Find someone else, right? And it's the same idea. These NPCs exist for a reason. If you're going to engage any deeper, you need to know what they're there for, what the common ground is, what they secretly want, what they're up to. And the more that you probe into that and you figure it out, the more the DM's going to have to work with and is going to create interesting characters and interesting stories and interesting relationships. Um, and be open to it. If it doesn't go the way you want it to, that's okay. There are other NPCs. So the last topic I want to get into, I'm going to just speed through this really quickly because this is a player-centric episode, I hope. Um, and this is mostly going to be for Dungeon Masters, so I'm going to hit this pretty hard and fast. But NPCs interacting with NPCs. First of all, players, this will happen occasionally. This is your opportunity to sit down and give your Dungeon Master the spotlight for a minute. Because despite the fact that your DM is in just about every single situation uh, that you are playing in, that doesn't necessarily mean that they get the opportunity to play. They're busy refereeing and adjudicating and describing and ticking the boxes off. So let them have the spotlight. Do not interrupt the NPC monologue. Listen, show respect. DMs. The reason we have NPCs interacting with NPCs is because this humanizes your non-player characters and discourages murder hoboism. This also encourages deeper engagement. But you have to understand your scope. That I was talking about before, but sometimes they're just set dressing. Sometimes that they are uh, very, very important to the plot. Sometimes it's a sidekick. When you have got this conversation that needs to be had, understand how much time you should be wasting on it. Everyone in the marketplace is talking all of the time. That doesn't mean that you have got to flesh out 150 conversations between characters. Move on. So remember, though, that NPCs, even the weird ones, are people. And that means that they have their own relationships. That means they have their own wants and needs. And they have their own tactics about going about it. 
One of the things we haven't talked about very much is the how and the tactic of it, because I don't like to coach people on how to role play. I can give little tips and tricks, but it usually comes down to know your motivations and listen and show respect. So understand that even the strange NPCs like Xanathar, who is a beholder NPC, even they are people with recognizable wants and needs. Kobolds are people too. Talk to your kobolds. So remember, the best way to humanize an NPC is to pair them together. Give them a reason for being together. Mentor and apprentice, uh, mother and daughter, um, husband and wife, or a couple of uh, of lifelong career gate guards that have just been partners for decades. It's good to give larger families and larger groups. I like to do it with families as well because it gives a different dynamic. Not every single NPC you meet in D&D is single. When was the last time you gave them a family? I do it a lot and it's easy because the only thing I've got to do is come up with one last name and then I just look up. I'm not joking. I go to IMDb Whatever the last movie was, I go into the the crew credits where nobody ever looks, and I start picking names up. There we go. Now I do, I can populate eight young children into this gnomish family without any fucking effort. All I had to do was come up with a last name for them. Think about rivals. Sometimes what they want is not necessarily a good thing, or maybe they're incredibly stressed out, and that's the thing. That's what makes us people. You could have the nicest NPC in the world, but if you meet them on a bad day, if, if something bad has happened or or they have run afoul of their rival, they will be bitchy. And that's okay too. What's the most tragic thing in their backstories? As I continue to develop the NPCs beyond the first meeting, I start to think more and more about their backstory to give them more and more motivation. But I don't have to go too deep. Players are deep. NPCs are only as deep as the players require them to be. So think about... What are the main factors of their backstory? And just point form. But if you spend more than 10 words, you're doing too much. And how do other NPCs talk about these NPCs behind their back? Oh, you guys watched the most amazing, wonderful fire show at the carnival. It's great. Every other one of the NPCs walking out in the audience goes, that wasn't very good, was it? It was better last year. I really miss the old guy. I wonder what happened to him. So even though your player is like, oh, cool. Yeah, no, that was neat. That's going to color their perspective moving forward. DMs, don't take too long. I almost never get into dialogue of, and he said this, and then she said that, and then he said this, and then she said that, and then they came in and they said this. I never get into that. I just lapse into a narrative voice. And I say, the conversation is about this. This person made this point. This person made that point, And this person walked away upset about it. Or they came to an agreement. Don't spend time role-playing with yourself. It's weird. Nobody has the time for that on their Friday night. I also minimize interactions and monologues when it's just two NPCs talking to each other. I get to the fucking point. Because if someone rolls a perception check to overhear it, they aren't there to hear, Hey, Glenn, how's your how's your week? How's your wife doing? No one's interested in that. If it's going to be that level of small talk bullshit, I'm going to tell them, Oh, you rolled a 14. You really get the fact that one of them's married and the other one's had kind of a bad week at the casino. I don't need to get into the conversation. I'm moving on. I will, however, describe how NPCs listen to each other and how they react to each other, because this is going to inform a lot. When the prince is not listening to an advisor, that's worth noting. When they are intently listening and they do exactly what the advisor says, that's worth noting. It is more important for NPCs to react to the environment and other characters, player characters or otherwise, is more important they do that than what their actual actions are, unless you're an initiative. and. 
also my my key thing that I like to do, and I'm sneaky about this with my players, and I'm pointing it out to Megan, which I shouldn't do, is in order to make my world feel a little bit more real, I have my NPCs wait so the players don't have to. When the players walk up to knock on the door of City Hall, there's going to be someone outside going, yeah, I've been knocking for the last three hours. I uh, I guess there's nobody here, but you know, I'm going to stay here and wait. Now the player doesn't have to waste the entire day waiting for City Hall to open. They know it's closed. They can move on. I make the NPCs do the waiting first, and it makes the world feel more lived in. It also pushes the player characters to go do important things. There's no one around could mean that, or you don't see anybody could mean someone's about to show up or someone's hiding. If you have NPCs that are doing the searching and coming up with nothing anyway, that can be a good indicator for your player characters to move on. I always look at NPC motivations, not just what do they want, but why do they want it? And then I go a couple levels deep on why. Um, why do they really want it is the better question, not the one that they tell people, but the actual motivation. Uh, and how are they going to go about getting it? I always have a secondary piece of information or a secondary objective locked and loaded, and they're usually relatively generic. I don't go too deep on it because it's my get out of jail free card. Um, for example, I have a list of NPC names in my phone. When someone says, what's her name? And I go, Give me a minute. I actually have this information. I go to that list and I see what was the what was the next knoll on the list that I needed to give a name to. There we go. And I've got a uh, Google Sheets spreadsheet of all of the playable races, and like each tab has five or six names on it. I never have to do more than that. If I burn through the, those names, I'll repopulate it at home later. I also sorry the secondary objective that I have tends to be a secret. It's a thing that that the NPC doesn't want anyone else to know but other NPCs might know. And so then as you learn from one NPC about another NPC, it feels complicated. I've not really done any much, any extra work here, but man, does it feel more lived in when you just go that one level deeper. And it doesn't have to be deep. I go very stereotypical. I have a list of nine things. What do they want? Something to do with family. That's going to depend on how much I fleshed out, how many other people are around them. Something to do with power. It's going to depend on their status. A prince or an advisor or a town guard will have different different levels of, of power hunger. Something to do with love or greed or maybe they're suspicious about something. Maybe they are protecting themselves or someone else or something else. Uh, I worry about duty or a lot of the time, Megan, you are very, very familiar with the scared NPC. The only thing they want is to be safe. And that's because I run Dangerous Worlds. But we also have a lot of our memorable NPCs my memorable NPCs are going to be based on reputation as well. Uh, the two best NPCs that I've introduced, in my opinion, in this campaign have been uh, Gladian, who was the large Warforged gladiator uh, with the mind of a child. And he was literally made yesterday. And so he was this killing machine that had no idea what that meant. Mm -hmm. It's just a thing he does. And then on the other side of that, we had, shit, what was his name? The pompous elf that you guys loved to hate i don't remember <laughs> they hate him that much they purged from memory he he died like a year ago in gameplay so but you guys hated on him so hard well i don't remember what his name was but you remember the npc you remember hating him you remember the the pompous yeah. asshole perspective that he had um <laughs> and he was just all about his reputation he was there to to be the most egotistical son of a bitch and it drove you all up the wall and then he fucking died 
and you guys were all horribly upset about it. Irvindale. It was not Irvindale. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember what his name was. He died face down in the desert. He was killed by, I want to say, Yuan T. I thought he died during like the worms phase. No? No, because he lived. No, because that was after. Yeah, I don't remember. This is a Dan question. It's absolutely a Dan question. Oh, hold on. I might have it here because, you know, I damn well keep notes on everybody. He was a high elf and his name was Galandar. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> and Galandar. He sounds like someone you don't hate. Galandar was just the single best person at absolutely everything and proceeded to get knocked out in almost every combat. Yeah, he's like, absolutely he was, useless. Yeah, he was a total piece of shit. Um, but one of the best characters that I've created and because I forced you guys to interact with him. Yeah. But the thing was, as time went on, whatever you did, he would then take credit for it because he was so worried about his reputation that he started to evolve. And that's the thing that's so important is evolve your NPCs. If you run into them more than once, it sh they should not go back to the basic Final Fantasy one or, or early Pokemon days, of they always say the same thing every time you talk to them. Mm -hmm. They're not just standing in the same place doing the same thing. That farmer that you passed by in the field yesterday is not going to be working the same stretch of field tomorrow. He's mm -hmm. going to be somewhere else doing something else. And it's not that hard to just say, yeah, he's not here. He's somewhere else. You're going to have to go find him, right? Well, we're going to go talk to the bartender and they show up and, oh, the bartender's got the night off. You got to wait till Tuesday. It's easy. It makes it feel more lived in. And it gives you something to, to draw the characters in more. Where is he? Oh, he's actually at the bathhouse. Oh, I guess we're going to a bathhouse then. That wasn't <laughs> that wasn't planned, but here we go. Right? <laughs> and now we have more shit to do there. So when it comes to NPCs interacting with NPCs, you get to see behind the scenes. It's not just what they're showing the players. You get to see how that battle-hardened general talks to his wife. Mm-hmm. And is actually a warrior poet. But you would never know that if he only ever deals with the player characters. So, let's grab our dice for one final roll before we wrap this episode up. 11. I got a nat 20. Oh, look at you. I got a 16. Megan? I got 11. Oh, oh going last with double digits. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first one is, do you have an example about a pair or group of NPCs who felt very real at the table? Um, it's hard for me to comment on this because I they all feel real to me. I'm the DM. <laughs> Um, but if I can be honest, the most real relationships that I've had are the ones that the players bring with them. This is my dad. This is my long lost love. This is my sidekick. Then I get to dig into it because the players will take the time to interact with this character, mm -hmm. right? I get to spend more time with them and figuring out what they want. And a lot of the times I will look at my players and say, yeah, they're not going to do that. Why would they convince them? That's you're asking too much of them. Because mm -hmm. now I'm getting into the character's head and it feels more interesting. I love playing Kayam. Love playing this character. I also love playing Laughter, who is the mother of both um, Mieka's and, and uh, Casey's characters. Love playing them because it's interesting, multi-sided, multi-faceted, dynamic characters. And so they feel very real to the point where I had an NPC made of Kayam. Like, like an actual mini printed mm -hmm. off and I will paint him <laughs> as soon as I figure out what his colors are. But but these are important NPCs to me because they're important to the player characters. So when I create an NPC, I like to put them in groups. Mieka played solo for so long. Every time that she goes to Maryland, we play away from everybody else. 
And I don't just give her a sidekick. I give her three. And then I let them all interact with each other. So A, she has a full party in combat. But more importantly, there's other dynamics beside just how important is your character, right? And mm-hmm. she comes up with a pecking order of who she likes and who she doesn't like and and which ones are more important and who she's going to protect first. And, and so coming up with groups, especially when you're playing a solo campaign, groups of NPCs can inform a lot. Yeah. Tyler, do you have an example of a pair or a group? I, I do, actually. Um, I would say one that became very real for my players is it was actually a, a couple of bronze dragons that they encountered. Now, they didn't know they were bronze dragons at first. And in fact, they encountered them both separately. So not bronze, brass, brass dragons, not bronze. Um, but they encountered them separately and one was yearning for the other because the other was traveling. And But it, it, the thing is, though, is they got to know who they were and they got to really, to, I guess, put the time and effort into knowing who they were. And by investing that time, uh, and that relationship evolved. And it came to a point where they loved these this, this pair of uh, brass dragons so much that when one of them had a, a limb severed off because they're going off against a black dragon, they were so distraught that they essentially dropped everything they were doing and went after this black dragon. Uh, but it's, it, it felt very real to them. This the, this pair of brass dragons that is so fantasy felt real to them because of the time that they invested into them mm-hmm. and wanted to know more and more about them. And not not just because they were a married a married couple, but because of the the realism they brought to the campaign that it isn't just oh go murder this thing go find this thing it's a fetch quest no they brought a, a whole different aspect to the game itself hmm. lots of depth mine's a little boring um but i feel like it's uh simplicity makes really good npcs and the one that came to mind as soon as i read this question was the freaking borhalla warriors uh, the barbarians. The barbarians, and the reason why I bring that up is because it was a very what? smart thing. So it was a it, Adam knows the story better than I do, but essentially, it's a group of warriors that was created as followers of a previous character. Um, and in the current world that we're in, they're the the reason why I bring it up is because they're built out of a labor of love from previous characters. The fact that there's this large group of warriors that follow this one person and or have the same collective ideal, they have a reputation, like, within the city. So wherever you are, someone's going to be talking about them in one way or another. Um, And, like, they're very out and about. They do arena battles and all these things. And my character, who likes to fight, heard about them through word of mouth. And, again, because they have a history and have been within the world for a long time, Everyone had an opinion about them, so she wanted to check them out herself. And then as a DM, because they're a collective, you have like 30 NPCs that are very similar that you could just pull and have similar interactions, but then have them have small little nuances that are different that make them different. So I just feel like that's a good thing to point out is that you can make a collective of an army or something that is more focused. But again, Adam, you built it, so I don't know if you want to say anything extra about that, but that's what I found as a player very engaging was that they were a known group of people that had a reputation that I had an interest in engaging in. What was interesting about them is, okay, so I spoke about Jamie's character before. His name was Boar. He was a barbarian. I spoke about Terry's character who rescued the half-orc and then fell in love with her. 
but there were a bunch of half orcs and they were all slaves all of these women there were over 40 of them i think and the players rescued them and then were trying to get them to safety and never found safety they found an abandoned city they made it their own and gave them a home to stay in boar the barbarian decided to train them up to be barbarians and he called them borbarians he also made the bar the way that he wanted it to be and he called it borhala so the thing that i don't think you realize megan is that all of these characters i had to come up with 40 female half-orc names and every one of them started with a k which i think you'll appreciate because that's, i do appreciate that thank yeah, you that, thank you so much that's your MO. <laughs> um and uh, actually, when you started playing Korra in the last campaign, I got rid of the name Korra from the half-orcs because that was a name I'd been using. Oh. So, there are only so many K names. Um, so when uh, what you don't realize is that the elders that lead it were the youngest now because we're a generation and a half from when that happened. Mm -hmm. So these characters grew up. They evolved. Some of the others that are there were children in previous campaigns that have decided that, hey, I want to be one of the strongest. I want to be one of the best. Or um, enemies that weren't killed or rivals. The ogre that's there who's just called the ogre because he traded his name away to the Fae for intelligence. He is an ogre from a previous campaign. So they're, they're all, they were all brought together to be a part of this one big group that I can pull from, but because I've got a history with them, they're easy for me to do that. Mm -hmm. Because I know what the names are, I've spent time with them as a dungeon master, I'm able to bring them forward so that my players can interact with them, but also it's easy for me to describe them interacting with each other. And the first time you interacted with them, they just they were very dismissive. You are just a tiny half-elf. We are going to wrestle, we're going to fight, we're going to do our thing. You are welcome to be escorted, but you're not one of us. And mm -hmm. very slowly... You became one of them and and gained their respect, right? So you're not a barbarian, but you're talking to them as equals now, which is... Oh, I am fighting for their respect. <laughs> yeah. Which was, was hard fought. So uh, the last thing that I want to do before we wrap this very long episode up is uh, I would like to build a relationship, uh, each of us. And I want to say, this isn't about building an NPC. Anyone can come up with a tabaxi ranger that's 95 years old and is an ancient font of wisdom. And it's not necessarily about a motivation because we've done episodes on what the NPCs want. And it's, you know, I, I broke it down. They want love or greed or money. We don't need a plot hook here. What is a relationship between two or more NPCs that you don't normally see in D&D that you think would be interesting for players to interact with? And I'm first on this. So one of the things that I want to see in a relationship uh, is the political figure who has been ousted and is still staying around as a drunk at the bar, right? And who keeps giving advice to people and the advice is sound. It is good advice. But because this person is a drunk, all of the other NPCs have no use for them because there's been a fall for grace, a fall from grace. None of the other NPCs have any use for him. So he is just the black sheep in town. And the players should dismiss this this character at first. The the governor that was voted out, right? Or that he lost the defense of the city, but he wasn't killed. And when they got this, when they took the city back, they found him, you know, sniveling in the in the 
dungeons. They brought him out, but he's not fit to hold power anymore. If you spend the time with him, he will give you all the information you need to know about all of the quests. Mm. But no one likes him, and doing and spending time with him is going to detract from from how other NPCs will interact with your player characters. So you also you almost have to. You guys ever have that awkward thing where you've got like a friend, but. You can't really acknowledge that they're your friend because of popularity or whatever bullshit high school. Like, no one can know we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've seen that enough. And and that would be an interesting dynamic that I don't see in D&D. I think if I had to come up with something that is a little different, at least in D&D, is I would want to create an NPC who is, I want to say almost that... He's not not the sheriff perspective, but the deputy perspective. It's not the person who is like running the law, but one of the people that serve in it that may know the back streets, grew up on the back streets, and knows the pe- the right people to ask things. Um, but is not that he's not the first person you turn to to ask things. It's when there's trouble or something. It's the he's not the the he's not the captain of the guard. He's just one of the guards. Who knows the place a little bit more than the rest but you have to actually like search him out and find this out but i i i would want to create this npc in the sense of a person that they could get to know that the, the that it is there the compulsion is there if they're willing to look for it so what's the relationship then who is there another npc i i'd say yeah the captain of the guard in this case it's the captain of the guard doesn't want to deal with all the stuff Go to this guy. I don't want to deal with you guys. Yeah, the person delegating. Yeah. Um, I like to see using the examples of like perspective of a relationship. Um, so an NPC build that I would probably try and like navigate and that would find fun to navigate would be either an NPC PC relationship, but this is the hostile um rival and the friendly rival at the same time. So this would be the person who is either the NPC or the PC super jealous of the other person because they're better than them at the thing they want to be good at. And they are mean to them. But the other person doesn't realize they're being mean. They think it's friendly banter and that they're best friends. And that it's just anytime anytime he loses and stomps his feet, he finds it funny and laughs, which exacerbates the anger of the relationship, right? So again, it's that dynamic of the perception and how you perceive the relationship that you have with somebody, which will eventually in this scenario potentially really lead to a betrayal or like, a, like finally understanding what the nuances of the relationship actually is. And then that can, that gives it a little bit of an extra layer, right? So especially if you as a DM are playing the NPC who is the jealous one and your player just thinks that they have a best friend or vice versa, like it's just a fun little thing that you can do at the table, I think. That's, this is uh, your Goku-Vegeta relationship. <laughs> that's so dysfunctional. Yeah. Well, that's what I love in relationships, you know. <laughs> All right. Before we unpack that, let's pause for an info break. If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagements like that help us pop up on search engines and keep this show running. So I want to encourage everyone that's listening. These relationships are meant to develop the campaign. It's meant to bring life 
to the campaign. So it isn't just murder hoboism or just go do this, go do that. It's we're not playing 3.5. We are paying, we're playing D and D fifth edition, which has such a playability when it comes to the social pillar, um, as well as even the exploration pillar. So I want to encourage players and DMS embrace that, have fun with it. Uh, and that's what these relationships are meant to do is to bring it to life. Yeah, I guess my final thought is to be aware of the campaign that you're playing as well. Mm -hmm. If you're in a hack and slash campaign, there's not a whole lot of room for really big in-depth character development. But that doesn't mean that you can't have dynamic relationships or evocative encounters with people. And it, again, it doesn't have to be romance. We automatically go there. But developing a really, really friendly relationship with not even the leader of your guild, but just like your manager. You guys in, in the campaign that we're playing now, Megan, have developed a relationship with Roombree the Minotaur. Mm -hmm. He is not calling the shots. As a matter of fact, he often says, this is as far as I go, you're up, go do it, don't mm -hmm. die, right? Because he's there to help facilitate your training. And you've developed this relationship with him, and now everything has gone so far off the fucking rails that he just he just can't anymore. He just fucking can't. It, he's it's outside of his purview, and it's beyond what he can handle. And you you watched him go from being calm and cool and 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 um, collected and being an absolute fucking wreck. Mm -hmm. I mean, he looked into the eyes of a god and died, and then got brought back to life. And that's more than his mind could handle. But he's like your boss. You're not even your boss boss. He's just like your supervisor. Yeah. Right? It's <laughs> it's such a weird dynamic that we hadn't seen before. And you guys all fucking dove in headfirst on it. And I love it. Yeah. So oh. so we were gearing up to a lot of combat. There was a lot of that happening. And I wanted Roombree to be a, a factor there. But he, and he's a part of the town guard. And he's got a boss just like you got a boss. And we knew where he was in the hierarchy and the pecking order. And so it was very easy to know where he stood on things. And then very slowly we learned who he was and who he was, was a very competent, but a little bit lazy. And that was a fun dynamic to play with as an NPC. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts, Megan, before we wrap this up? My final thoughts would be in the care that it takes to role play these things out at the table with people that are not necessarily equipped with the mental capacity to handle developing relationships. Um, and I do say this is like, I personally am very bad at developing strong relationships that are quick, quick, that happen quickly, especially at the table when it comes to NPCs and playing with players I've never met before and playing with DMs that I've never DMed with before. Like there's a lot of things that you need to take into account when it comes to role playing these out at the table. And if you notice someone is not, as a DM, if you notice someone who's not looking as comfortable with the situation or they're not able to find the correct words, I think, Adam, you spoke to it earlier, and, like, it's fine to just anecdote it and say, what's the point you want to get across in this interaction and what's your goal with this interaction? Make it a role. Make it a skill check or what have you. There's ways to adapt awkward role play for those who just don't want to do it. Um, I and, do find that, yeah, sorry, go and it doesn't have to be a role. If, for example, the rogue wants to go strut his shit and be the, you're dealing with the Assassin's Guild. And so the rogue walks up and he's just like, hey, look, I'm one of you. And, and you're going to give us these items. If he doesn't have to roll a persuasion necessarily, if mm -hmm. the, if the character would naturally just do this well, but the player's uncomfortable role playing it, it is okay to hand wave it. Yep. It is okay to say, 
You go behind closed doors, you have a long conversation, come out, and no one will ever know what happened behind that door. But you yeah. now have the magic item. And that's fine. Yeah. And if you want to develop that relationship further as a player, like in that example, then you can have that little one-on-one with your DM later to be like, okay, well, I want in the conversation that this point gets across. Right? Yeah. So it's that whole the fade to black again for relationships doesn't just mean we're going to go fuck in a tavern. It can also mean we're having a very long, serious conversation, but I don't want to have it at the table because I don't want to take up that much space. Um, so I guess just don't be scared as players uh, when it comes to developing relationships because there's so many different ways that you can do it. And DMs be open to the process that is most comfortable for those players is kind of like my final tidbits. We're not all theater kids. No. I mean, I am a theater kid, but I'm not I'm not a theater adult. You know what I mean? <laughs> like... <laughs> anyway, that's all for this discussion on in-game relationships in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Please take a second to engage with a like, follow, comment, and review to help push our engagement. And don't forget to subscribe to find future inspirations for your campaigns. If you'd like to support us, we have a store with some merch and a donate button on our website, it's a mimic.com as well as a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits. And don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations. said to get that out <laughs> excellent thank you you're Bye. welcome in this episode of the it's a mimic podcast this panel of dungeon masters will be discussing relationships between playo between players players player players <laughs> in this episode of the it's a mimic podcast this panel of dungeon masters will be discussing relationships between playable characters and playable it's a big tongue twist, ain't it? No, there's no non in there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I want you to know, I do everything in my power when it's going to be Megan, Terry, or Brad to make this paragraph as wordy as possible because it's always funny. You missed a word, though. No, you didn't. No. No, read the whole thing. Okay, fine. There's romantic. Clearly, there's best friend, and then there's other friends and other friendships. There are people that are allies, and then there are people that are acquaintances. There's my phone going off because it's my first fucking day. That's Adam. a crazy kind of a relationship. Of course, it's Brad. <laughs> Fuck Brad. Come on, you. You knew we were recording tonight. Anyway. It's eight p.m., sir. <laughs> Go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you have children. Come on. Um. So. Day. Very good. We did it. Yay. <laughs> Can I sleep now? Yeah, that one was super now. late. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye, friends. We're just diving out of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Have a good one, Tyler. You too. <laughs> That's so ugly.